Amen. Yes. Good morning, church. And good morning to all of you who are watching from all over the world today to this little service here in Gilbert, Arizona. We are glad that you are here. So I know that some of you came in this morning and said, what did they do? They have messed up my seating arrangement. Yeah, well, that's what Pastor Jeff does every once in a while. I do change every once in a while just for change's sake because I don't think that the people of God should get too comfortable at any one time. So we're just going to do some changes every once in a while just to do them. Just to do them, just to keep us on our toes. Hey, a uh, couple things. One, just want to encourage you again, no matter what service you choose to attend here at the Oasis, that you strive to get here on time at 9 and 11 and that you're in the auditorium and that you're ready to worship the Lord. Uh, worship is amazing. And you all bring it. And you brought it this morning. And we're so glad for that. Secondly, next week, we start a new Sunday morning series in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus giving fresh eyes to our Lord and Savior, how he walked this earth, how he ministered amongst us. And I hope you will be here. It's a, it's a Sunday you don't want to miss because it literally will set up for us the next 41 Sundays as we are in the Gospel of Luke. It is going to lay the foundation. I know next Sunday is a holiday weekend, but I hope that many of you will be able to carve out the time to be able to be here for the start of our series in the Gospel of Luke. But today, we finish our series in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61 this morning. We took 15 weeks and we didn't obviously cover every chapter. There's 66. But, but I tried to choose the chapters not only that God led me to, but the ones that would be a, a nice summary of the book and give us a good representation of what the entire book of Isaiah is all about. And then hopefully it would also sort of stir within you maybe a hunger or desire to get into the book of Isaiah for yourself and read it and study it for yourself. So many great things in the book of Isaiah. Today, in Isaiah 61, Isaiah is setting forth for us the ministry of the Messiah, the ministry of Jesus, and all the blessings that flow to God's people from his ministry. Blessings near and blessings still far in the distant future. Now, obviously, you know, these things are specifically applied to the nation of Israel, to the people of God in the Old Testament. But we can apply many of these things to us today as well. Not that the church and the nation of Israel are the same. They are not. They are always distinct. But a lot of these promises looking ahead into the future and the blessings deal with the millennial kingdom of Jesus, the millennial reign of our Messiah. And we know that both Jew and Gentile, both Israel and the church will be part of that 1,000-year reign. And then one other thing. This chapter is also what I would like to call a map 
for ministry, period. And what I mean by that is it's a great guide for any of us who are servants of the Lord, who are ministers. And dare I say that every last Christian is supposed to be a minister, a servant of the Lord. Uh, we're all supposed to wake up every day and basically say, God, I'm available. I am your servant today. I am your minister. Do with me today in my life whatever you want to do and choose to do. So it's a map for ministry. But I will say this. I especially am hoping that our ministry leaders here at the Oasis and those who head up ministries will pay particular attention to this chapter because it really is a great primer, if you will, uh, for what ministry should be all about using the, our Messiah as an example for ministry. Jesus used his own first part of this chapter and applied it to himself. In the Gospel of Luke, he stood up in a synagogue one day and the book of Isaiah was handed to him, Isaiah 61, no accident there, and he began to read the first two verses of Isaiah 61. He stopped strategically in the middle of verse 2 because it is not his time now to come and be the judge of the earth. The first time he came, it was the time for him to come and to seek and to save that which was lost and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And so I want to begin this morning by looking in the first couple of verses at the ministry of our Messiah. But I also want you to look at it through the eyes of this is also a map of ministry for you and I as well. Because God uses his son, Jesus, as an example for all of us about what ministry is and should be about. So notice it starts off with the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Jesus had the spirit of God upon him while he was here on earth, guiding him and directing him. When Jesus, the son of God, came to earth, he laid aside the independent use of his attributes. And while he was here, to give us an example, he was 100% human. And he then allowed the Spirit of God to be what guided him and led him through his entire earthly ministry so that you and I could see what it's like to be human but to have the Spirit of the Lord be our driving force behind our life and behind our ministry. So just as the Spirit of God was upon Jesus, you and I have the Spirit of God upon us. In fact, we have the Spirit of God literally living inside of us as a permanent resident. And out of the Spirit of God being upon us, the Spirit of God then will lead and guide us to the things that he wants us to do how he wants us to serve and minister for the Lord as his people, just as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If you are here today 
and you are a Christian, there was a time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have the Spirit of God upon you. Are you allowing him to lead? Are you being filled with the Spirit of God? Are you walking in the Spirit as the New Testament teaches so that he can guide and direct us to the service and ministry that he has for us? Then notice, because the Lord has chosen me, literally, he's anointed me. Anointing means he is, in a sense, consecrated uh, the Lord and he has set him apart. That's what he did for Jesus, and that's what he does for us too. Not only is the Spirit of God upon us, but he chooses every one of us. Every one of us has a plan or purpose within the will of God. And he anoints us, if you will, laying his hands upon us and says, for instance, Jeff, I want you to be a pastor. For every one of us, he has something that he has chosen for us, that he has set us apart for as we are guided by the Spirit that is upon us. Then notice verse 1. Then he commissions us. It literally means then he sends us on a mission. Once we have the Spirit of God, and that's where it starts, it's got to start with a relationship with God and having the Spirit of God upon us. And then we, we begin to understand and recognize that we have been chosen, that God has chosen us, that we are special, we are unique, we are a valued creation of God, and he has set us apart for something, you see. Then, once we understand that, then he sends us. We are all to be people on a mission. All of us have some kind of mission, if you will. That's why there's not just missionaries that, you know, we think about that go to the foreign field and whatever and do their ministry there. And we call, we are all missionaries because we are all to be sent by God on a mission, you see. And part of that mission is always the message that we carry with us, the message of the gospel, the message of God's word that we can literally bring into people's lives, that we can breathe upon them, that we can share with them. And, and much of Jesus' ministry, our Messiah, was not only what he did, that's a big part of it, Ministry is what we do, but it's also what we say because we all have a ministry because we all have a message to share. And so you'll notice in verse 1, the sovereign Lord was upon him, the Lord chose him, the Lord commissioned him, first of all, to encourage the poor. And this word poor doesn't just mean those who are physically poor. It means those who are afflicted, those who are lowly, those who are in a weakened state. God says, I have given you words to go out with your life and to encourage, to bring encouragement to those who need encouragement. And you've heard me say this before. I've never met a human being ever 
who told me, Pastor, you can stop encouraging me. I have all the encouragement I will ever need for the rest of my life. I've never heard anyone say that. In fact, I have found in my own life, and I'm sure you find it in your life and find it in other people's lives, we need encouraged every day, sometimes multiple times in a day. And so God is saying, I'm sending you out. You have words of encouragement that you can share with others throughout your day, your week, your month, and your year. I also want to send you out to help the brokenhearted. I want you to give a decree of release to the captives, to those who are bound and, and, and tied up by something and something's got a grip or a hold on them. You and I have a message that through Jesus Christ, they can be set free. And, and as God's people, just like Jesus did, we need to go out with the message of freedom that they can find in Jesus Christ. For if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, Jesus says. Now this is all based on what was called the year of Jubilee in the nation of Israel. The year of Jubilee happened every 50 years after seven sevens or seven Sabbaths, 49 years. And in the 50th year, it was a hard reset in the nation of Israel that God instituted. Basically, it was personal liberty. It was like if, if you have been imprisoned or, or given yourself as a slave to pay off a debt or something, you are now free. You're now free. It was also a year where restitution of property uh, was part of that where if you lost your land in some way throughout those last 49 years, it was given back to you in the year of Jubilee. Debts were canceled. I mean, it was an amazing year where God basically said, everything can start anew. Everything can start fresh. And that's what Isaiah 61 is based on. That's the message in ministry that you and I can have, that, that, that all of us can have a, a fresh start with God at any time that we can have a hard reset, that with God, his faithfulness and mercies are new every morning, that, that, that we can be free in him and that we can start over and that our God is the God of the million second chances, if you will. That's what he's saying here. And then he says, the freeing of prisoners, opening prison doors also, to those who are tied and bound and gagged by something in their life. You and I can have that ministry because you and I have that message. To announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, when he's moving, when he's working amongst us, where we sense his presence, where we know that, that he's speaking to us and we're hearing his voice and we're seeing miracles and we're seeing God move and work in all these different ways. That's the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where Jesus stopped at the synagogue that day. That's where he picked up the book and he closed it and he sat down. Because that's what his first coming was all about. I'm coming here not to judge, Jesus said at this time. I'm coming to proclaim that now's the time. You want to get things right in your life? Now's the time. You want to get right with God? Now's the time. It's now time for the Lord's favor. And you and I need to 
understand that. Even in our own life, we need to grasp it. We need to understand that we are living now in a time where God is giving us opportunity to be realigned with him and, and to, to make our lives what, what he wants it to be rather than what we desire to be. It's now the Lord's favor, but make no mistake about it. There is coming a day where the Lord's favor will be done. And then notice, then will come the day when God will seek vengeance. Now, that day hasn't come yet. So guess what? We are still in the day of the Lord's favor. And we should do everything we can to just make the most of the opportunity that God is giving us. Notice, he goes on to say, we also then in this day of favor are to come and bring consolation to all who mourn, to bring comfort and relief to those who are mourning and those who are grieving and those who are suffering loss. We have a message and a ministry to strengthen those who mourn in Zion, to give them a turban, literally a beautiful crown on their head instead of ashes that's put on their head. Uh, oil that symbolizes joy for anointing of rulers instead of mourning. A garment fit for praise instead of discouragement. What are we seeing here in this passage of Scripture that is, in a sense, illustrating for us what the ministry of the Messiah was all about and what our ministry every day as God's servants could be about? Well, it's a ministry and message of hope, right? I mean, isn't that what you see and, and feel here off, off the pages of Scripture that what God is saying is that he equipped Jesus, the Messiah, to come to this world and bring a message and a ministry of hope to people who were hopeless, who whether they were captive or, or whether they were prisoners of something or whether they were discouraged or disheartened or whatever it was, Jesus brought hope. And God is saying to us today, in the year of my favor, my people can bring hope. A message of hope and a ministry of hope. Is that what we're doing with our lives? That's what the Oasis Church is to be about. We are to be a place where people ever find a place of hope. It is here in God's house where God resides and God rules and where God's people are aligned with him and where we are humbly his servants every day saying, Lord, what would you have us to do? God says, give the people of this community, give your fellow Christians a message and a ministry of hope. Bring encouragement. Bring help to the brokenhearted. Bring consolation to those who are mourning and strength to those who are mourning as well. Tell them they can have a crown on their head instead of wearing ashes. And another thing that this, these verses are also reminding us of is not just that our ministry can be a ministry of hope. It's a ministry of transformation. It's a ministry of wonderful exchange, if you will. Because notice he says, we could give them a turban or beautiful crown instead of ashes. We can give them oil symbolizing joy that was done to anoint rulers instead of mourning. We can give them a garment symbolizing or fit for praise instead of discouragement. Notice the word instead of, instead of, instead of. What's that telling us? It's telling us that it can be different. 
with God. That our lives can be so different with God. That God can come in and transform our lives and our situation. That maybe God even won't choose to change our circumstances, but he changes us to be able to navigate and rise above our circumstances. Then that's still transformation. There's still that great exchange there, if you will. And that's why, can I tell you, God always tells us to come to him. That's even what the word for prayer that is predominant in the New Testament means in the Greek language. It is to exchange with God. It is to bring God, maybe my brokenness, and come to God and say, God, I'm broken. And God says, I'm glad you came because I'm the one that can put you back together. I'm the one that can, many, and you won't leave broken. Just give me your life. Whatever we bring to God, God can change, and we can, we can leave from God different than when we came to God. That's the way every Sunday and Wednesday should be here, that you and I all leave a little bit differently from engaging and encountering with God than we did when we walked in, even if we're in a good place. God is transformational. When you and I do life and ministry with God, we should never be the same. So not only did Jesus come as the Messiah, anointed by the Spirit of God, commissioned by the Spirit of God, sent on a mission, but he came with a message, a message of hope, a message of transformation, a message where we can exchange whatever we have and we can leave with something different with God. And it's also a ministry of hope, a ministry of transformation as well. And God wants to then build people up, restore them so that they can be strong and solid in him. That should be the result of our ministries, both individually and as a church. The result should be spiritual growth to the point where we are then more solid, more firm, and more stable. And you see that here in this passage. Notice in verse 3, after the phrase, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement, when people are built up, when people are given hope, when people are growing, notice then what they are called. They are called oaks of righteousness. There's nothing more solid and stable as far as a tree than an oak tree. They're not the Palo Verdes that are falling over because of the storms. They're oaks. They have deep roots. They are strong so that when the wind and the storms come, they're still standing, still standing. That's why even in Psalm 90, not only does God want his people to be oak trees, he also calls godly people palm trees. Why? Because a palm tree is designed by God literally to bend in a 90-degree angle and not break. That's why palm trees can withstand so much because they literally can bend over and yet come back up. God says, I want my people to be like that. I want them to be able to withstand things, to be able to go through storms and go through hard times and maybe be able to be bent but never broken. I want my people to be oaks 
I want them to be godly palm trees. Notice, trees planted by the Lord, the end of verse 3, to reveal his splendor, his beauty, his glory. Strong. Not just beautiful, but strong. God, in a sense, is saying there's something beautiful about strength. That's true. That's true. There's something beautiful about strength. And God is saying, when you and I are ministering for the Lord, the goal of our ministry and the goal of us being ministered to, what should we be seeking as God's people? We should be seeking an environment spiritually where we are given hope, where we are given encouragement, where we are being built up so that the result is we can be oaks of righteousness where we can be trees that is planted by the Lord to reveal his beauty, his glory, and his splendor. And then God goes beyond that. God says, I need to make each one of you strong through ministry so that then you have the strength, you have the wherewithal, you have the bandwidth, you have what it takes to be able to go into other people's lives and begin to be used by me as my instruments of restoration and rebuilding in them. Notice verse 4. Now, God here is using for his people physical ruins, ruins of a city. But the principle applies that as you and I grow up in the Lord and are built up in the Lord and we become stronger, God will then use us more and more to also be ministers of restoration and, and to build up others. Notice, they will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate and they will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since ancient times. Focus on those words, rebuild, restore, reestablish. When God builds us up, he does so so that then we can be sent into other people's lives or other situations to be able to rebuild, restore, and reestablish. That's our ministry, to be ministered to so that then we can be more effective in ministering to others. So that all of us are ministering and also being ministered to at the very same time. That, that's the healthy Christian life. Always giving out, but always being poured into at the same time. See, for many Christians, here's the trouble. Many Christians give out, but they don't have enough coming back in. You and I have to with the Spirit of the Lord, get to a place where we realize I can't keep giving out if I'm not putting myself around the people or the places or whatever where I can be also filled up. Because as I give out, I've also got to continually be filled up. That's why a better illustration of the Christian life is not a cup that's set on its base and that gets filled up because that's just being filled. No, the, the better illustration of a Christian life I've always thought is, say, a plastic cup that you cut the bottom out of and you tilt it on its side and the water runs through this way. And that way, you and I are always having water, 
flow into us, but then that same principle is we're also having that water flow out of us. And the same amount of water that's flowing out is also flowing in. It's like a river, you see. That's the way God wants us to live our lives before him. Now, notice a couple other things in this passage. Notice our privileged position. He says in verse 6, you will be called the Lord's priests. Do you know in essence that all of us are priests of the Lord? In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, God says to us, the church, New Testament Christians, you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people of my own. A royal priesthood. I never looked at myself as a priest. Yeah, we should. Because you know what really a priest in its basic essence is? It is someone who assists others in their relationship with God. That's what priests did. They hung around the house of God, and basically, yes, they offered sacrifices. That was one of their main jobs. But also, they were just there. And as people came, they were just there to assist people in their, whether it was to pray with them, to comfort them, to encourage them, to counsel them, to advise, whatever it was. The priest just made themselves available to help other people in their relationship with God. In a sense, priests are those who mediate the riches of God into other people's lives. As God enriches us, we as the priests of God share those riches with others. That's what priests do. Called the, what a privilege God gives to us his people. And then notice this glorious future that God is saying is coming through the ministry of the Messiah to his people, verse 6. You will enjoy the wealth of nations and boast about the riches you receive from them. Instead of shame, you'll get a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will rejoice over the land they receive. Yes, a double portion in their land. And then I love this, because you and I can apply this to our lives too. Guess what else is part of our glorious future? The end of verse 7 experience lasting joy. A forever and ever joy, amen, hallelujah. A joy that never ends. You and I, that's our destiny as the people and priests of God. We will experience lasting joy that never ends. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty good to me. Which is why then as we come to the end of this chapter, beginning in verse 9, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the remnant who begin to praise God for all he has done and made available to them. And I want us to take some time this morning as we end to really examine these verses because they're the culmination of not only this chapter, but I think of this entire book of Isaiah. Notice he says to the people, their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples of God. And then don't miss this, the end of verse 9. All who see them will recognize the Lord has blessed them. Oh. Do others see in the way we live our lives every day that we are blessed? Do we wear humbly the blessing of God upon us every day? Say, well, how can people 
recognize that you're blessed as a Christian, especially if you're going to be humble about it. I mean, you know, you don't want to go around going, yes, I'm blessed, I'm so great. No, no, no. He's talking about an attitude of thanksgiving, of gratitude, of gratefulness, of acknowledging the Lord, of, of recognizing that all that we have and all that we are come from him. That's how other people recognize that we're blessed. Because we live a life of thankfulness and gratitude. They're always hearing from us our praises and our thanksgiving and our gratitude and our gratefulness and our prayers to God, thanking him for all that we are and all that we have for him. That's how they recognize that we're blessed. And that's how we can keep it humble so that it's not about us, but that the spotlight shines on God. Are others seeing that the Lord has blessed us? It's not about us having all the material and physical things and saying, see how God has blessed me? No. It's about living a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. And then notice verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Literally, I'll exalt the Lord at all times. I will be overjoyed, literally overcome with joy because of my God, which goes along with the end of verse 9. How is it that people recognize the blessing of God is upon us? Because we're always praising God the Lord. Notice in this verse that it's not about acknowledging the blessings of God as much as the one who brought the blessings. Did you see that? It's about acknowledging the giver of all the gifts, not just the gifts themselves. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. That's the key, those three words. I will be overjoyed because of my God. That's the key words. It's the same thing that Paul said to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in who? The Lord. In the Lord. Yes, we are to be thankful for his blessings. We are to be thankful for his treasures and his gifts and his bounty and his abundance that he leaves in his wake. But most of all, we should be thankful for him because he's the one from whom all blessings And then I love this. He goes on to say in verse 10, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. Are we wearing our deliverance every day? Our vindication? Do other people see that the way we carry ourselves is, is fitting and appropriate for the people of God who've been saved and rescued and delivered and justified and sanctified and one day glorified? Do they see that in us as we carry ourselves through our day? Can they tell that we are a people whose sins are forgiven and we've been set free and we're glad about it? You see. For we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. Can people see that we're saved? Can they see that we've been delivered and rescued and sanctified and justified just by the way we carry ourselves? Because God says, he clothes me. 
He wraps me up in these garments of deliverance, puts on me a robe. It, it should give us such dignity and such honor as the people of God to hold our heads up high every day and to walk through this world saying, I am a child of God. I am a prince and princess of God. He created me. He loves me. He saved me. He's going to glorify me one day. I'm holding my head up high because I am a saved child of God, and I praise my Lord because of it. And then, oh, he doesn't stop there. I think that's why, as Nicole and I were discussing this Sunday, we just really felt like God said, I want you to put the pedal down to the floor and I want you to leave it there from beginning to end. I want my people to end this whole thing with Isaiah on such a high note, realizing, again, what Messiah has brought to us and who we are and what we have because of him and how we can do ministry just like him. A map for ministry. I love this. He says, we as God's people, we should look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would. We should look like a bride when she puts on her, her jewelry. What's he saying? He's simply saying, are we displaying for others to see the difference that God has made in our lives? Can they see the hope and the joy, the dignity and the honor? I mean, it's like, you know, he's using there the, the wedding day is like a day where, man, that should have been a, a happy day for us, a day where we got, you know, dressed up, where, where we looked apart, where we stood out, where, where we were supposed to stand out and, and where people could see, you know, the difference. God is saying, that should be my people every day because they're my bride and I love them. And it should be so evident that we are, we are God's and that we leave our houses and we go out into this world and that others can see this is the difference God has made in my life. This is the joy God has put on my face. This is the hope that God has put in my heart. This is the peace that God has put in my mind. This is the love that God has given me every day. And then verse 11. For just as the ground produces its crops and a garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will cause deliverance to grow abundantly. God's going, man, when my people get this, when they open themselves up to the ministry of my son, the Messiah, and they receive his ministry, and they begin to grow and, and be built up and all of that, and then they begin to live their lives to serve me and be ministers for me, and I send them out to encourage and bless and build up and inspire others, he says, oh my, and then when they begin to recognize all that they have in me and all of that, and they begin to live a life of worship and praise and exaltation of their God, he says, my deliverance will just grow 
rapidly and abundantly. You'll just begin to see the fingerprints of God spread out through lives and people all over, and God will begin to work in very unusual and supernatural ways so that he gets the glory for it. And then I love the way this chapter ends. And give his people reason to praise him in the sight of all the nations. Wow. Literally in the Hebrew... God gives his people reason to lift him up, singing songs of praise. Lifting him up, singing songs of praise in the sight of all the nations. Isaiah is saying to God's people, God gives us a reason to lift him up and praise him and worship him every day. Do we recognize it? Do we see it? In fact, I believe God gives us reasons to praise him and lift him up every moment of the day if we're conscious, if we realize how blessed, how privileged, how honored we all have been through the ministry of God's Son, the Messiah, and then how he turns it around in a sense and not only saves us to himself, but then gives us great purpose for living our lives on this earth builds us up to the point where then he can send us out to make a difference in other people's lives, to change their lives for all of eternity, to be his instruments in his mighty hand. And that's what God wants to do again today. But we need to end by recognizing we have a reason to praise our God. And so I hope today that as we end this day and this series in Isaiah, we, like Isaiah, can say these words from our heart. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God. For he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication I look like a bridegroom when he wears a turban as a priest would, and I look like a bride when she puts on her jewelry. Oh, folks, we have so many reasons to praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that as we pause in just a moment to express our thankfulness, our gratitude, our appreciation to you, for you and for all that we have in you and all that you've done for us, that God will just, we won't hold back. We will be overcome with joy. We will be overcome with your presence. We will be overcome with your blessings in our life. Realizing, Lord, that when you came, you came to bless your people and favor your people, not just now, but for all of eternity. Lord, we're going to be able to experience everlasting joy that never ends for all of eternity, God. May we show you today here in your house, this house of the Lord, that we are a grateful people that we are a thankful people, that we are a people that want to exalt you like never before, that we want to be more than ever devoted and enthusiastic worshipers 
who can't wait to wake up every day and lift you up, who can't wait to come on Sundays and Wednesdays and other days of the week to come to your house to lift you up and exalt you, God, for who you are and all you've done for us, God. May this place and may the homes who are watching today, may we fill these places of worship up, God, with the fullness of praise that you deserve. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, folks, and let's give our Lord the fullness of the praise he deserves today.